0: everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the Best MSU Basketball Podcast, featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod, continuing with our Big Ten previews. Longtime listeners of the show know that the last team we cover for Big Ten previews is obviously Michigan State. Now, not every year does Rod have the Spartans ranked as his predicted first place finisher, so it's a little up in the air who's the real number one. Last year, as you may recall, Rod had Indiana slot as the number one team in the Big Ten, even though he didn't think they'd win it all, which was correct. Uh, Well, this year, Rod's predicted number two team is the Purdue Boilermakers, which means he thinks Michigan State will win the league. Uh, We'll do the Michigan State preview on October 19th, but for now, we'll do the Boilers at number two. So thank you again to all who support the show via one-time gifts through PayPal or Venmo or on a recurring monthly basis on Patreon or Substack. As a reminder, recurring monthly supporters on Patreon and Substack qualify for a monthly drawing for nudge printing gift cards. If you want to learn more, head on over to tiffnot.com slash support for links and more information. All right, so let's talk about the Purdue Boilermakers. Last season, 29 and 6, 15 and 5, and number 7 in Ken Palm. And so Purdue presents the... Very challenging, uh, I guess, question of how do you evaluate a season? Because in college basketball, especially since the casual fan doesn't really start watching until eh, maybe late February, early March, once football is totally done, uh, you know, once you get through the Super Bowl, right? Uh, And then March Madness begins. And so for many people, the, the evaluation of a team is how well they perform in the postseason. And clearly, you have to meet expectations. Purdue is a number one seed, and so the expectation is that they win, at least get to the final four, or very close. And they get bounced in the first round, the second number one seed now to lose in the first round, and lost to fairly Dickinson, um, which was you know, not a very good team, but obviously just had the right formula, and caught Purdue in the right day, whatever you want to say. We've talked about this before, sort of what happened to Purdue, but uh, during the... Regular season, Purdue was really good. And, you know, you look at their profile, they're number 12 in offense, number 24 in defense, uh, which means, you know, a very good team, especially a very balanced team. Uh, they were number 33 in two-point shooting behind the shooting of Zach Edey, and uh, number three in offensive rebounding rate, which, again, related to Zach Edie, um inside. But they shot well at the line. They were 37th in free throw attempts for uh, or getting to the line for, for field goal attempts. And shot it well, number 80. And then turnover percentage, they were number 100, which is not terrible. They were not a good three-point shooting team. They were terrible, uh, 276 uh, in the nation at 32.2%. Uh, and they did pretty much everything really well on th- and defensively. They prevented people from shooting threes and twos uh, very well. And um, a good defensive rebounding team at number 30th. So, Which, not surprising, that made them a really solid team and a team that ran away with the Big 10. It really was not even close and which is unusual. We usually have a race in the Big 10 and there just wasn't one this last season. So um you know, I guess we'll talk well, I guess we can talk about that before we talk about sort of the dynamics going into this season.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Purdue is I think as classic a case as you're going to find of the difficulty in this in answering how do you fairly evaluate a season? And right. we face this in all sports really because all sports professionals as, as well as college sports, even college football with the advent of the playoffs, it really becomes about what you do in the postseason, and mm-hmm. regular seasons are devalued from what they once were. So the, the most obvious example to me is baseball where you play 162 mm-hmm. regular season games. Now in my mind, you play over the course of 162 games you got a pretty good idea of who's who with <laughs> yes. that many games mm-hmm. but then you go from that to a playoff format where you've also increased the number of teams who get in and in a sport like baseball because it's so dependent upon one man the pitcher and if that if that one man or say two starters that you have happen to be hot at the right time, you see crazy results where you see teams that might have a 20-win gap between them in the regular season. Suddenly, the lesser of those two teams as a couple of hot pitchers, they win a playoff series. Basketball, college basketball at least, it's even more obvious because the nature of the NCAA tournament is, as we know, a one-and-done format. So you're not playing a best-of series. You're playing one game, and if you happen to be off – In the one game, you're done. And the importance that we place on it, and I'm not even arguing is that legitimate or not. It's just a fact of life. But the importance that we place on that postseason performance can have a profound effect on how your season is viewed. So we look at Purdue. In its regular season, you can't question by any measure a tremendous season. Uh, They even, I felt were slumping toward the end of the regular season and still won the big 10 by three games, which as you said, (laughs) rarely happens, particularly in the current era. You you don't see teams typically have that kind of gap. And you can argue that maybe meant the rest of the big 10. Wasn't very good. I, I would say that. I would say this Matt Painter is a guy who, if you, if you pay attention to how he coaches, what he talks about, what he says more than most in the conference, I think he is someone who highly values deep basketball analytics. And I think that he has used that in such a way as to maximize his success over a longer term. So You're playing 20 Big Ten games now, right? That's enough of a sample that if you do things the way that he believes they should and play to that level, more often than not, they're going to win games. And that has been a fact. I mean, Purdue over the last decade has been very, very good, generally speaking, in the regular season. They don't win it every year, but they're in the mix, and they win it often enough. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't help you as much in a one-and-done format. And I think that's been part of the problem. So, um, And there are other problems, too, which we'll get into. But I, I just think, boy, you look at that regular season, they win the Big Ten by three games. They win the Big Ten tournament. So when you win both the regular season and the Big Ten tournament, that's that's an argument stopper. You are clearly the best team in the league. They earn a number one seed for only the fourth time in school history. And we're talking about a rich tradition of Purdue basketball success. Um, it's only the fourth time they've done that. That's impressive. And then you lose to Fairley Dickinson. So, how do you view it? Do you view it as a success or do you view it as a failure? I think fairly you have to say it's both. You the, the loss to Fairley Dickinson to me does not eliminate, it's foolish to say that it makes irrelevant what Purdue did over what five months, four and a half months of basketball. They were a very, very good team for a long period of time. And they won two trophies. They get to hang two banners at Mackey. Uh, That's real. That's an act. Those are actual accomplishments that matter, Mm -hmm. but we know how much March means. And not just that you you feel, it would have been one thing if we say, well, They made it to the Sweet 16, and they lost. Okay, that would still be disappointing, but you wouldn't be viewing it. You wouldn't be talking about it in the apocalyptic terms that people were last year. As you said, only the second time in history it's happened since they went to uh, a 64-team format. Now, obviously, we're at 68, but you get the drift, Uh, where you have a a 1 versus 16. That's noteworthy, obviously. The fact that Fairleigh Dickinson was pretty bad even by 16 seed standards. They were a team that got hot at the right time in their conference tournament, which occasionally will happen in those mid-major leagues where the team that's that's best in that conference doesn't get through and you have a team that's nowhere close. Uh, I didn't bother to look at where Fairleigh Dickinson was in Ken Palm uh, heading into the tournament, but I'm assuming they were sub-200 and I think I'm on safe ground.
0: I think that's probably safe because they were, I think, the third best team in the league because I think the top teams were disqualified or for some other for some reason in the postseason yes, or something like that. Can't they, exactly Yeah, something like Yeah,
1: because they hadn't yet put in the requisite number of years at the Division I level to be eligible for the tournament. I think you're right. I think it was their league that that happened. So that's all profoundly embarrassing for Purdue. And it really overrode a lot of the good feeling around the program. Cause let's, let's remind ourselves you, you mentioned picking the conference at the start of the year. <laughs> yeah. I had Purdue nowhere near the top. I didn't, I didn't have, I think I maybe had them fifth or sixth. I'd have to refresh my memory. Uh, I think I believed they'd be an NCAA tournament team, but I did not expect them to contend. And by the way, I wasn't alone. Nobody expected them to contend. So uh, they'd lost a ton. Remember the year before where everybody loved them. I was leading the bandwagon in the preseason two years ago for Purdue, Jaden Ivy, Trevion Williams, all those guys and, uh, Stefanovic. And they lost a bunch. So heading into last season, you know, freshman backcourt, Edie's got to play more minutes. Is he going to be able to last, you know, all of those things, they were not seen in the preseason as a dom- a potentially dominant team, and yet they were. Yeah. So I think you have to give them credit for kind of maxing out what their potential was. It's just that when it came to a one-and-done format, uh, they came up with snake eyes on the wrong day. And also, in fairness, I think by that point in the season, people had started to figure out a little bit what you had to do to hang in there with Purdue. Uh, I mentioned they had kind of a slump as relative, but remember the first half of the season, they were just steamrolling through the league and then people started to get them. Northwestern really started it fairly Dickinson played a very, a version of Northwestern's game plan, swarming Edie and letting their shooters, you mentioned their horrible three point shooting, letting their shooters take shots and deciding, okay, we're going to live with it. If you can shoot us out of the gym, fine but we're not going to let Zach Eadie just pound us into submission without a fight. We're going to swarm him like piranhas. We're going to do everything we can to force him to give the ball up and hopefully force a turnover. And if they hit enough threes, okay, then, you know, we're going to get beat playing the other way anyway. So I I think that's what happened. So that's how I would view it. I think you have to be balanced in these things. I don't consider myself to be in the camp says, oh, none of that stuff mattered because Purdue went out and lost that game. No, it mattered. It happened. They won the big 10. They won the big 10 tournament. They were a number one seed. You cannot erase that. And I think on balance, you have to say it was a a successful season overall, but one that was clearly ruined in the eyes of many by the way it ended. For sure.
0: And I think, you know, you can look at that I, I look at this their season very similar to was it fifteen, sixteen season with the middle Absolutely. Tennessee State right. ending, right? Absolutely. You should say they had a great fit, you know, great season, wins wins a big ten, win big ten tournament, uh then get a, a number two seed, which we thought kind of got jobbed a little bit, go to the NC tournament and flame out in the first round. And everything that you accomplished you feel like it just was taken away from you. Yes. Um, and uh you know, you, those Raptors, those banners are the Raptors, but it's not the same. And that's probably Basically, because just like Purdue, I mean, there's more is expected of this team. The one, the only difference I'd say between Michigan State and Purdue in this sense is that Purdue really hasn't performed well in the tournament at all, like in the in March. And that's the one thing that you know it's yep. a it is a recurring problem, right? It's it's like we always get there, but we always lose. It's sort of like the Buffalo Bills and you know the Super Bowl maybe, or you know the the Vikings or someone like that who just gets there but always loses. It's great to make it, but you know, you got to actually eventually at some point you have to break through. Otherwise it's, it's hard to say you were successful.
1: Well, here, here's, here's a little, putting a little bit of meat on that bone because you're absolutely right. And I I think it is without question. And I, and from some of the media I've seen him doing lately, I would think Matt Painter would accept this. He's got a monkey on his back on him and on his program. And here's why. So he's been to the NCAA tournament 14 times. He's only made it to an elite eight once has never gotten to a final four. Now, some might say he was jobbed in that one elite eight performance and he should have gotten to a final four, maybe, uh, in, in 19 against Virginia in an all time classic that Purdue narrowly lost. Uh, but he's only gotten out of the first weekend in six of those 14. That's not a terrible ratio. But usually, by seeding, Purdue has been favored to get through, and they haven't. Um, So I think that 6 out of 14 represents at least a mild underachievement, and the fact that he's only been, as I say, to one elite eight, really a problem, and no Final Fours, obviously. Uh, He's now one of only two coaches to lose to a 16 as a one joining Tony Bennett. And the good news for Matt Painter and Purdue fans is that Tony Bennett came <laughs> back the next year and won it all. And right. I think that's been some of the talk around this for well, Purdue can, you know, get vengeance for what happened by going out mm-hmm. and winning it all. And certainly they're a team that's seen by most as having a chance at least to do that. Um, but you got to do it. And Tony Bennett had, Tony Bennett had a lot of NCAA tournament problems as well. So I, I understand the comparison, but you actually have to go out and do it. Um, maybe even as troubling as any of what I've already mentioned, in the last three years, Purdue has lost to a 13 seed, a 15 seed. Now, granted, that happened in a Sweet 16 game where they lost to St. Peter's, but nevertheless, that was a 15 seed they lost to. So a 13, a 15, and a 16. We are not talking about getting eliminated by Duke, North Carolina, (laughs) Kansas. That I think makes it even more stark what the picture has been at Purdue. And after a certain point, it does become fair to wonder why is this happening repeatedly and to this level? And, you know, I look, I have some theories. Those who listen regularly, um, know i think what what some of these theories are i think the biggest one i'll just i'll just put in a very general way to me and this is informed by watching college basketball in general and also by watching a program like michigan state closely that's had an immense amount of march success if you want to have success in a format like the one we see in the ncaa tournament first and foremost I think you have to be versatile enough as a basketball team to win different kinds of games. You cannot go in thinking that you are going to dictate the way that every game is played from one through six and think you're going to do it. I I (laughs) start with Michigan State's (laughs) national championship season and the final four, the last two games they played, as one example of countless I could show. Right. In the national semifinal, they have to play Wisconsin in an absolute knockdown, dragout, bloodbath of a game, which was so rough that it had Roy Williams, who wasn't even playing in it, crying to the NCAA, uh, the NCAA uh, um, basketball committee and, and the officiating committee about changing the way that rules were enforced. Michigan State wins that game, and then they're playing Florida in the national title game, a Florida team that liked to press. Wanted to run, et cetera, et cetera, and many idiots and um, <laughs> ill-educated people thought that that was going to pose a problem for Michigan State because oh look, they came out of the Big Ten and they just they just won this ugly, horrible game, you know, in the fifties against Wisconsin. They're not going to be able to run with Florida. Well, anybody who knew Michigan State basketball knew that's their actually their preferred way to play. So Florida pressed, Michigan State shredded it, and beat them fairly easily in the end in a run-and-gun, up-and-down, 94-foot game. So that's always been the key. When Michigan State has gone on runs, it's generally been with teams that could do it any way you want to do it. You want to play in the 50s and slow it down and make it a low-possession game? Fine. You want to run? Better still. You want to play somewhere in the middle? Okay, we'll beat you there, too. My contention is that because Matt Painter – has locked in on a very particular way of playing, specifically with teams over the last decade that have been centered around gigantic big men who have tended to be largely immobile. It has limited the flexibility with which Purdue can play. Now, you can mitigate that. You know, you look at last year. Would the result against Fairleigh Dickinson have been better if Purdue had guards that could actually hit those open shots? Sure. I'll buy that, but I'm not sure that somebody else along the way wouldn't have still found some form of playing some strategic approach that would have put Edie in positions he doesn't want to be in and left Purdue unable to adjust. I, I, I used to say this during the course of last season a lot, and it's going to be the case again this year. Any game that Zach Eadie plays in, he is the center of that game, literally, not just his yeah. position. <laughs> and everything else is orbiting around him, right? He is just the center mm-hmm. of gravity for everything that happens. Now, that can be really good in some ways when you're as effective as he can be. I don't question that but don't pretend there aren't negatives that come along with that too. I think Purdue has a way of playing because of that, that they rely on these particular types of not just big men, but gigantic big men who also can't move very well. And at both ends of the floor, I think it can pose problems when game to game in a one and done format You are facing teams that play wildly different in terms of their approach, the kind of athleticism they have, the kind of skills they have, all of those things. It it comes down to that as much as anything else to me. I don't believe that Matt Painter is a choker. I don't believe his kids are chokers. I do think that heading into this year, it's going to be something to watch because everybody's going to talk about it all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. How does Purdue respond? But we got months till we get there for that. I do think that the way he constructs his rosters has put them in a tough spot to make the kind of runs that I think their regular season success would suggest to you they should. That's my theory, at least.
0: And we yeah. we ran
1: this we ran this one up the flagpole with Robbie Hummel and you know he may have been being gracious to us and and doubly down but but he seemed <laughs> he did for a Purdue guy he seemed to at least acknowledge that there may be something to that
0: yeah well and then yeah and he said that they're obviously coaching staffs looking at what happened and what's been happening and you would and
1: think things. but yeah, but I mean I to, well right I and mean, we're gonna talk about it as we go through this but. It's fine to say, hey, we know what happened. We're going to learn from it. We're going to do some things differently. That all sounds great. How are they going to play that differently this year? How, what, are they going to sit Zach Eadie more? I don't believe that. <laughs> that's the that's the conundrum. That's the horrible thing about it because Zach Eadie is so effective and does so much so well that any idea that you would lessen his role seems insane. But there's thing, there are things that come along with that. And, and I think that's the part that was not acknowledged as much. We talked about it here, but not a lot of other people did until the NCAA tournament. And then, I'll, oh, wow, I guess Purdue's guards are young. They don't handle pressure well. They can't hit big shots. You can kind of get Purdue off kilter by just swarming Edie. All these things that anybody paying attention to the Big Ten should have known we're there in that in that NCAA tournament loss. And I do wonder how much can they really change? We'll see.
0: Yeah. And we'll see if there's a counter in the big 10, right. During the regular season from the start, as opposed to just by the end of the season. So
1: absolutely. And then look, I am going to be absolutely shocked if we don't see teams from the, out, that first, whenever Purdue's first big 10 game is in December, if we don't see everybody, they play, playing a variation of what teams like Northwestern and Fairleigh Dickinson did. And they're going to make those guards prove that they can make a defense pay. You have to, how how can you play them any other way? So we'll see if Purdue's gotten better in terms of handling that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, let's go through their through the roster changes for Purdue coming into the season and we'll start with departing players. And as you'll notice, if you've been listening to the uh, previews up to this point, There's a pattern here that as you get further along and up towards what we are projected top of the uh, top of the standings, there are less departing players and there's there's more continuity within teams. And so that's definitely the case with Purdue as well. Very good point. Uh, So we'll start with the departing player, David Jenkins, a six foot one grad transfer guard, uh, came in to provide some experience, didn't play a whole lot early, but by the end of the season, he became a lot more important, especially you really saw him emerge at the end of the season and especially the Big Ten tournament. He was key. And critical for purdue being successful at getting to the championship and winning it all although during the season he only averaged three point nine points a game on 37 35 and 67 shooting and a lot of those threes came late in the season where he was really
1: yeah. uh, blistering hot that you're right about that and i think what what happened was early on their freshmen were maybe maybe even a little bit of a surprise to them i don't know in terms of how well they seem to be playing but as you saw the year wear on it became obvious that there were some issues there. And so they they turned to Jenkins who was a veteran had played a, a lot of basketball in his career. And that was a, an understandable move for Matt painter to make. I think the problem was, is that although Jenkins was fine as a backup, he was pretty good to have a guy like that to rely on, but, the upside in terms of what you could expect to get out of David Jenkins was limited. You know, yeah. I I don't think I don't think your ideal situation is, hey, let's have David Jenkins making post feeds to Zach Edie in an NCAA tournament game and have him be the guy who's left open to take to take a three <laughs> when the opponent's triple teaming Edie in the post. Yeah. You know, that's not to say he didn't make plays. I mean he hurt Michigan State. I remember that oh yeah um uh, right. but uh you know it's still it's not we're, we're talking we're not talking about hey this is a team that's just looking to make the tournament and if they win a game or two great um this was a team that had earned very high expectations and when you when you frame it in that context i think when you're you're having to turn to david jenkins to be a major part of what you do that's not a great thing he was good in his role but yeah, I think you get my point.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as those freshman guards were running in fumes near the end of the season, yeah. they, they needed him, but he's not able to provide everything that they needed, of course. Uh, the final departing player, so there are only two. The second one is Brandon Newman, 6'6, a good junior year, he was a good defender. He scored six points a game on 36, 31, and 75 shooting, playing down a little over three rebounds a game in 18 minutes. Uh, he ended up transferring to Western Kentucky.
1: Yeah, I think that th- th- that's a move. You know, Western Kentucky is traditionally a pretty good program at their level. Um, CUSA. Uh, I would imagine he saw the potential to be more of a focal point offensively. It uh, struggled with his deep shooting a bit last year, which I think was you know look. Let let's be honest. <laughs> Who didn't with the team, team <laughs> with a team that struggled to hit threes? If Brandon Newman had shot maybe the way he had a year or two prior there would have been an opportunity for him to claim an even bigger role because they could have used that. The fact that he couldn't hit those shots was a problem. And, you know, I would, I liked Brandon Newman. So I would think that Purdue views it as a loss. That said, they've added enough pieces uh, in terms of guys who can play roughly similar roles that I don't think they're going to be looking back, say, boy, if we'd just been able to hold on to Brandon Newman, it would make all the difference. I don't see it that way, but I, I did like him as a total player, both ends of the court, and I wouldn't be surprised if he has a good year at Western Kentucky.
0: Uh, before we go to returning players, which is, of course, the majority of the roster for the Boilermakers, I'd like to remind you that the sponsor of the show, Nudge Printing, does fantastic work in the providing our gear. So you can go to the final force on the schedule.com slash merchandise there. You can find our hoodies and logo t-shirts. They're very wearable, comfortable, screen printed, super high quality, go through the wash a million times. They do a fantastic job. They will, um, they'll serve you well. And there are also other opportunities. You can go to their website and find out all kinds of other Spartan gear and even other schools in the state of Michigan. You can't go wrong with anything at Nudge Printing. It's run by a couple of Spartans. Uh, they were helpful in the Spartan Strongs effort in printing, I think, 15,000 shirts, uh, raising a lot of money. And so, you, Gabe and Brittany will take care of you. Make sure you fill out uh, Final Four in the coupon code at checkout to get 20% off as a listener of this show. So, again, that's nudgeprinting.com, Final Four for 20% off your order. Uh, so, let's talk about the returning players. Well, we'll talk about the biggest returning player, <laughs> who is literally and figuratively the biggest player, Zach Eadie, seven foot four National Player of the Year. Uh, and what is, I think so he averaged 22.3 points a game, 12.9 rebounds a game, blocked two shots a game, shot 61% from the floor and an impressive 73% from the line, which is so important because he would be fouled a lot. Uh, and I think the most impressive thing about him is that he played a lot of minutes for someone that big, you, you didn't get much respite <laughs> when you're taking on Purdue. And, and I think that was really the key for their dominance during the season, because you didn't really have a whole lot of time. I feel like in Michigan state, he maybe sat eight minutes or something. It was not much at all. And he really, and when he's in, he just is so dominant.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I said it right. He's the center of gravity every time he's on the court. It's because you don't have seven foot four and big, not, not skinny <laughs> um, and skilled, all of that. It It's just, he's going to be at the center of everything his team does. And because of that, he's going to be at the center of everything. The defense is trying to do to contain him right. And contain Purdue. Um, I, I covered some of this earlier. I think when you're talking about a guy at that size who doesn't move well, that means you're going to be less flexible than might be ideal. Um, it prevents you from playing different styles against different opponents. So defensively, what does that mean? Well, it means Purdue really can't ever mix up the way or change the way they play pick and roll defense. They're going to be in drop coverage all the time because Zach Eadie can't move. And if you were asking him to try and do that, you might actually see him get called for a foul once in a while, which doesn't seem to happen any other <laughs> he doesn't way. He does foul
0: anyone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> apparently not. If you can judge by the statistics, um, so we mentioned it a few minutes ago. Is Purdue working on counters to what teams were doing toward the end of the year and just swarming him like piranhas? I'm sure they are um but how successful will that be? I think a lot of that, isn't dependent upon Zach Eady. It's dependent upon his teammates, right? Yeah. If they once again, can't punish people for doing that by hitting shots, uh, they're going to keep coming. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't want, you know, it's funny a guy who's a returning national player of the year and the favorite coming into this season to repeat. And I feel as if I'm, I'm talking about him in a way that isn't glowing. He obviously is a huge impact player. But I do think, to be fair, there is something to the idea of having concerns around what having a player like him, as unusual as he is on your roster, does to your team. And we're going to find out. Look, if Purdue fails to go on a run again in March with Zach Eady this year, Uh, we've got our answer, at least with this particular player. It didn't work. You know, they've got one more crack to make it work. And I imagine they're going to try to do some things differently. But to me, the core of it is much more simple than any kind of strategic adjustment. The core of it is going to be, do you have guys around him who can make defenses pay for tilting so much of their coverage towards Zach Eady? If you do, fine. If you don't, good luck.
0: I mean, assuming Purdue is not as good with – they're the same or maybe slightly better three-point shooting, so they're basically the same team. Do you see many instances of teams in the Big Ten, for instance, not double-teaming him, like even including a team that doesn't traditionally double-team as much as Michigan State, although they have done it a little bit the last year or so? No. I mean, I, can't, I, I mean, you? I can't imagine uh, – right, that's my thought. I just – I can't see anyone playing him straight up anymore. That's what I was point. saying – that's what I was saying yeah.
1: earlier – Whenever that first game is in December, who I, I haven't even looked at Purdue's schedule it's,
0: uh, uh, to it's see who's going to play. Wait, no, it's not Wisconsin. Sorry. It's Northwestern. No, Michigan State's. It's uh, Northwestern.
1: It's Northwestern. It's December 1st. Isn't that interesting? Ah, well. In Evanston. There you go. I will guarantee you <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. that that is what they see. Since Northwestern was the team that kind of started that. Northwestern will absolutely attack Zach Eadie every time he touches the ball on the post. They will send three guys and they will say to Purdue's guards, go ahead and hit an open shot if you can. I, I, I just, I think it's that simple. And and by the way, saying all that, even with teams triple teaming him, Zach Eadie's still going to get his points. You will not eliminate him completely. I didn't see anybody do that. What you do, though, is you slow them down enough that it over the course of 40 minutes, it makes a difference.
0: So let's move on to another returning player. Mason Gillis, six foot eight senior was very pretty good last year. He was, uh, had a, a struggled his sophomore year, but he came back as a junior. Uh, he's a senior this year. He's, uh, averaging 6.8 points a game, 3.8 rebounds a game on pretty good shooting, 46, 36 and 80. And so he's a good four man. Uh, and he's, you know, a pretty good piece for the team. And again, his shooting was much improved last year and he was one of the few guys who could really, hit the
1: deep ball. Yeah. You know, I, I like Mason Gillis and he's sort of a traditional 4 foreman um, for Purdue in, in some ways under, uh, under painter in that he is a guy who could stretch a defense. Um, I think you look at his overall contributions and he's a very solid two way player for them. Um, you know, I guess the, the only question with him, is can they find ways to get even more production out of him? Um, You know, maybe that 36% shooting from three ticks up closer to 40. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe he takes a few more shots, Um, but I I like him. He's a very, very good starting four man in this conference.
0: Well, then we'll move on to the very salty Ethan Morton, six, five senior known as a defender, ball handler, three to one assist to turnover ratio. Very good. But, the scoring end really struggled three three point eight points a game on thirty two twenty eight and sixty five shooting, and it was clear with the game Michigan State played both times that they tried to have him as holding the ball as the shot clock would expire. If there's any way he yep. could pull that off because he was terrible. I mean, he would occasionally hit the three, but it was I guess in Love West Lafayette he hit a couple, <laughs> which kind of gave you an idea how the game was going to go. But uh, generally, he's pretty terrible.
1: Yeah, he had one year in his career. Um I want to say it was um I want to say it was year before last where for some reason he shot a very high percentage, but that was an outlier because he came into college with questions about his shooting. His freshman year, I remember he was absolutely horrendous. That he had a surprising sophomore year. And then last season, he kind of came back to earth. So if you're asking, well, which is the real Ethan Morton? I suspect it's probably the one we saw last year. The, the tough part about that for Purdue is he gives you so many of the other things that Painter values other than that. He's got good size. He, you know, Purdue is not because they run a, a pretty much a, a, a pure motion game offensively. They're not as dependent upon a traditional point guard as some other teams, like Michigan State, mm-hmm. for example. They've never, in, in Painter's era, they've never really emphasized that as much. So given that, man, a guy like Ethan Morton is is perfect for them because he generally makes very good decisions. Um, So he's not going to hurt you with mistakes. He's going to be able to find people, make plays for others. His size helps, and he's a good defensive player. So you've got all those positives, but When you can't hit a three, it gets tough when teams start playing you the way that teams were playing Purdue toward the end of the season. So I I think teams will, opponents will continue to do that, what you had suggested. They're going to try and end possessions with the ball in Ethan Morton's hands. And we'll see. And I think it will also be interesting to see if that means that that Morton may be has his role reduced slightly from last year i think that's an open question as to whether he starts or not but he's going to play a lot regardless he's too experienced and does too many other things not
0: to. and to your point in the 2021 22 seasons of the previous year he shot 44 percent from three but uh, he was yeah that fif- was really really weird uh and he was and his free throw yeah. percentage was 68 percent last year was 65 so it suggests that there wasn't much difference there except you know this year or last year, I should say, it's, instead of taking 34 shots in 21-22, he took 94 threes and only hit there 11 more. <laughs> so that's that's why he fell way down to 27%. Uh, so then yep. going on to uh, Fletcher Lawyer, 6 6'5", sophomore, uh, b- younger brother of Foster Lawyer, averaged 11 points a game and shot 37, 33, and 79. Really looked good early in the season. Kind of either got people figured him out or just freshman wall i don't know what you want to call it by the end of the season he really seemed to have a lot more struggles both in the offensive and defensive end
1: i have still not figured out what i think fletcher lawyer will ultimately which one is he going to (laughs) be um well because he you know look good size the biggest difference between he and his brother right that's that's what it is because Fletcher, I don't think, is instinctively any better of a defensive player than Foster was. He might be worse. But because he's six five and he's got some length, it helps him a little bit, at least hang in there. And Purdue, generally speaking, you know, they had that weird year two years ago where they were just horrible defensively. But last year they got back on track. And generally speaking, Matt Painter's teams defend well. So within a team concept like Purdue's, with his size on the Wayne Fletcher lawyer could probably hang enough defensively to make it worth playing in big minutes. But that's only true if he is living up to what his, um, his rep was coming out of high school, which is that he was a knockdown shooter. And early on, as you say, he seemed to be living up to that as the season progressed less so and less so and less so. And by the end of the season, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that he was in many ways a liability because not only was he struggling to hit threes, but he and the next guy we'll talk about Braden Smith were really struggling against heavy ball pressure in terms of valuing the ball. You know, Purdue ended up, I think you said 100th in turnover percentage, which is okay. It's not awful, but. That got yeah. Worse they were way higher as the year they went were along. Much Not better, better. for
0: yeah. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and it was it was precisely because those freshman guards really started to wilt. Yeah. And so now the issue becomes okay, Foster Lawyer, you've had a year, you've had a full off season in Purdue's strength and conditioning program, so I would expect that he has come back stronger because Purdue is one of those teams, along with Michigan State, that generally speaking, does a pretty good job in those areas. So I would expect he's had some physical development, but is he truly better as a ball handler and as a shooter? Because he has to be. A repeat of last season will not be good enough for this team to improve.
0: Yeah. And then we move to Braden Smith, as you mentioned, a six foot one sophomore. He's definitely less um, highly touted than as Fletcher lawyer, but he turned out to be a really good freshman guard for them too. And that was the Perceived weakness of why you had them ranked as low as six, I think, in your predictions preseason. He averaged 9.7 points a game on 44, 38, and 87 shooting, two to one assist to turnover ratio, averaged about five assists per game. So very good. And I mean, he it was that 38% three shooting was on high volume. I mean, he shot uh 101 three, so he's 38 for 101. So, I mean, it definitely was not low volume. And so, you know, if but again, just much like Fletcher seemed to not be as good at the end of the season either in his offensive production. And even, you know, with the
1: handling the ball. Clearly was not, I mean, he lost aggressiveness and he lost confidence. I I don't think that's an exaggeration on either front. And so now the question becomes, okay, how do you respond to that? How do you learn from that? Um, As you say, he was a better shooter than lawyer. He hung in there 38%, very, very good especially for a guy playing his first season, Uh, better than two-to-one assist turnover ratio. But that even got – that wasn't really reflective of the whole story because, again, late in the year, he was really struggling. Teams – what teams did is they – it was very simple but very effective. They got in Lawyer and Smith's faces defensively and made them earn every inch of real estate they got. That's how it went, and too often for Purdue's liking, those freshmen were not up to the task. Now, I'm saying this, and again, it sounds ultra critical. By any real measure, these two guys had good freshman for seasons. Sure. Yeah. When you consider that they were freshmen, neither was particularly highly touted. I don't think there were outsized expectations for, you know, all Big Ten kind of performances from either one of them. And so when you put it in that context, in that framing, it looks pretty good. And, and most people would say, okay, and the great thing is freshmen become sophomores. And so you can expect these guys will be better. I understand that thinking. It doesn't always work that way, mm-hmm. though. So we need to see that. I think it's very, very possible that it works out that way, particularly with Smith Um, but we need to actually see it. We need to see him respond better to teams getting in his face, getting physical with him, turning to defenders with superior athleticism and saying to him, okay, beat us. Or saying to him, hey, we're going to give you a wide-open jumper. Can you you handle that pressure? Can you step up and hit a shot? Well, if Purdue's going to be better, the answer to these things has to be yes for both these guys has to be.
0: I find it very interesting that you look at Braden Smith and he was actually number two on the team in rebounding um, for a six, one guard. I mean, well, I should say number three because Caleb first had a few more rebounds than him, but he was number two in defensive rebounding, with 120 rebounds and Zachary had two fifty two, yeah. and everyone else in the nineties or below. So interesting for a, a guard, I guess you could say there are lots of, those are the long rebounds that he's pulling down.
1: You know, I, I hate to say this because he's not playing for Michigan state. <laughs> But he's, he's an Indiana kid who was lightly recruited, not a very good athlete, not very big, but there, there are parts of him that reminded me of Scott Skiles. Now he, that's a dreaded compare a white player to another white player <laughs> thing, but honestly it really does. And, and you mentioned rebounded. That's what makes me think of it. You know, Scott Skiles, you look at his rebounding numbers, particularly his senior year, they were incredible. I think he was at almost five a game for a six-one guard that really couldn't jump or wasn't fast. That's well, kind of Braden Smith, yeah. right? I, that's the thing. When I say he wilted, it, it feels kind of unfair, as I'm saying it in a way, because Braden Smith did display a lot of toughness last year. I just think when you're put at the center of – a team that is supposed to be a big 10 and final four contender the way Purdue is a lot is asked of you and it's not enough just to be tough. You've got to be really tough physically and mentally. And so I, do I think that there is the potential here for Braden Smith to answer all the questions about him positively? Absolutely. I'm just saying he's got to do it. Next returning player is Caleb first,
0: six ten, junior averaging five and a half points a game and 4.6 rebounds a game and 21 starts to Purdue at the four spot. Uh, he shot uh, 51, 27 and 59. So that's obviously his weakness in shooting outside. And so, you know, a good player. And I think he was one that Michigan state recruited. If I recall.
1: Very heavily. Yes. Out of Fort Wayne. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, it it feels like he had a little bit of a down year after he showed a lot of potential as a freshman. You can't tell by Michigan State fans because if you remember, <laughs> you mentioned 27% from three, but he hit a huge one in the game at Breslin, yeah. without which late, without which Purdue does not win. It was a massive shot. And it was one that given the way he was shooting, you know, yes, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're on defense. Yeah. You, you want him to take that shot and he just happened to bury it. Uh, Caleb first, I think has the potential to be a really good player, he reminds me, I'm going to make another white player, white player comparison. So forgive me, <laughs> but Caleb first, from the moment I saw him reminded me of, uh, very much of Matt Costello, but perhaps with more potential from the perimeter. Matt Costello, I don't think, ever quite got the credit he was due as an athlete. Mm -hmm. He was 6'10", but he could really move. And he used that to become a very good pick-and-roll defender late in his career. I think Caleb First has very similar physical tools. I think he has the potential to actually be a good three-point shooter. He was as a freshman. He was not last year. They need him to bounce back. And if he wants a bigger role, he needs to bounce back as a shooter. Because um, that's what will allow him to play. If he's not giving them that, he'll still be in the rotation, but it'll be in a more limited fashion. It just—it's just a fact. So, you know, kind of a crossroads for him because it, it's hard for me to believe. But he's entering his third year, so this is the point where usually a guy who's done some good things but had some issues cuts one way or the other.
0: Well, another uh, intriguing player is returning is six foot eight redshirt sophomore Trey Kaufman Wren. He averaged four and a half points a game in 12 minutes, shot 50, 25, and 64, but definitely showed some ability to play at the five as backup to Zach Eadie went during his brief uh, stints on the bench. And so a player you can imagine having a little bit bigger role, either playing five or maybe playing alongside
1: Edie as well. Yeah, a real rarity. You know, this is a guy who was a very highly coveted recruit who actually redshirted two years ago as a true freshman. He played (laughs) last year, and I think by and large, they would view that season as a success, but also with the understanding that they think he can do more. Um, 25% shooting from three, they would want to get better. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see if he plays more at the five or the four. Uh, You know, this kind of, this kind of uh, crosses over with Caleb first. Caleb first has mostly been a four, but you know, how do they view Kaufman Wren this year? Do they, are they still seeing undersized five and and they'll primarily play him there. I, I think if you're going to play him more minutes, if he's going to earn a bigger role, he almost has to play more four because it's not like they're going to sit Edie more often. I don't think so an intriguing player. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of potential and a lot of ability there, but I don't think he's really come close to reaching his ceiling just yet. And, you know, look, I mean, you talk about these four guys, so you have Edie and Gillis and then first and Coffin and as your reserves. That's a really good post group. That's that in my mind, I'd have to think about it to be certain, but I'm reasonably convinced that has to be the best post group in the country. There aren't going to be many better. I know that much
0: quite possibly for sure. Next returning player is Brian Waddell, 6'7 wing, played uh, in only 17 games, averaging half a point a game. Uh, so he did not have really much of a role, and it's uh, probably unlikely that he's going to this season either.
1: Yeah, he's a legacy guy, and they, they picked him up late. Um, his father, I think, uh, his some of his time, I I want to say coincided with when Painter was at Purdue. If not, it was right after. His father was uh, Matt Waddell. Yeah. Um, right. You know, it's it's unfortunate because there just doesn't seem to be a role for him, but we'll, we'll see. I I would say one thing if Purdue is once again, struggling to shoot. And if Waddell can find his way into some consistency as a three point shooter, that would be the one way in which he might be able to carve out some minutes. But as for right now, I I don't see it as like,
0: yeah. And certainly his for eight last season is not not right. Right. Not a good start. Good. for the
1: future. Yeah. No, not at Uh, all.
0: Next players, Cam Heidi, he registered last season. Be- oh, this actually says he injured his foot. I thought that only happened at Michigan State, but it looks <laughs> like he injured, yeah. had injured his yeah, foot. Yeah, isn't
1: that weird? Some other places <laughs> it happens
0: too. Uh, so obviously he didn't play, and so we didn't have a chance to see him last season.
1: Yeah, and they really like him. I mean, for a guy who wasn't a major recruit and who sat out the year due to injury, I find it interesting. There's been a lot of hype among Purdue fans around Cam Heidi. So he's got some athleticism, but not in every way. So they say he's a very impressive leaper and he's 6'6". So that means he's going to be primarily a wing, most likely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially considering what we just talked about, Purdue's depth at the four. I don't think he's going to be an undersized four. Very impressive leaper. That's not something Purdue has a lot of. But interestingly, usually that goes, you know, a guy who can jump like that can also run. There are some questions apparently around his lateral quickness. So I think how he's able to defend will determine what kind of role he can play. They also think he's got the potential to be a good shooter from deep. So if he's got that and he gives him a little bit of a jolt in terms of his at least jumping athleticism, you can see a path to a role in the rotation. Um, I think he's likely to be in their rotation somewhere, but how all those pieces fit together will be interesting for a guy in his first year playing.
0: And then we come to our final returning player, seven foot two, Will Berg. He injured Richard last season. This also says he had a foot injury. That's, yeah. a, that's unusual. But it, I thought that again, I thought that only <laughs> happened. East Lansing. Uh, so I guess the question is, you know, does he Richard, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be able to back up Edie at the five?
1: Yeah. Um the questions around him as I understand it are that, you know, he had that foot injury late very late in their season, which put his off season in jeopardy. Right. Uh that's tough for a young big man. You know, look, w- with their depth inside, barring serious injury troubles, Berg was not gonna play. Um this is a, a future play by Matt Painter. You know, he, as we always joke about, you know, he has a type and that type is <laughs> seven foot plus Berg checks those boxes. Um, I don't think this is his year. I think next year would be when the opportunity for him would present itself to maybe earn a role. Yeah. Some guys, they like brunettes, Matt painter, like
0: seven footers. Uh, so let's, uh, before we go to the newcomers, I just want to remind you that if you need Work on your gutters or you have problems with leaves backing up and you, or you don't want to get on a ladder, which is a smart thing because people fall off ladders all the time. Call the brothers at Just your Gutters. They specialize in gutter work, cleaning it, repairing it, replacing it. They have all sorts of different styles and selections. Good pricing. You get 10% off if you mention uh, Final Four. When you talk to either Kurt or Greg, depending which part of the state you're at, you can find contact information underneath, below, on your podcast player or on our website at thefinalforceontheschedule.com. Just our front page will have the the, uh, under the episode description. It'll have contacts for both Kurt and Greg. Kurt's on the west side of the state, Grand Rapids area. Greg's on the east side of the state, around the Metro Detroit area. They will take care of you. They'll go out in any weather. They're fully insured. Again, they do excellent work because all they do is gutter work. They don't do anything else. They're not moving snow. They just do gutters, and so they specialize that. And they, again, do fantastic work. They took care of my family, and our house is much better for it. So check out the brothers to Just Two Gutters at BrothersGutters.com. So just a couple of newcomers because obviously they didn't have many people leave this, the team. So we start with Miles Colvin, six foot five, two hundred pound wing, top one hundred recruit, great athlete. People might have seen him if they watched one of the dunk competitions with Cone Carr. That Colvin was involved uh, was involved as well. And so, you know, this is an athlete that they obviously did not have last year. And so I guess, how do they get, how does he get used and what sort of roles is he going to have going into next year as a freshman?
1: I think he's, if you're looking for an X factor on this team, he's a, he's a pretty easy Mm -hmm. choice. I was very impressed. I saw that dunk contest you were talking about. I was very impressed with him athletically. He's not quite Cohen Carr, but he's well, <laughs> he's a very right. That that doesn't mean much, right? For human beings at least. Um <laughs> he's a very good athlete. And that's what gets your attention immediately. And physically, he seems put together well enough that you can expect that he's actually gonna play, uh, be able to hang physically in the Big Ten. So the question becomes, how much can Purdue utilize that? Because let's remember, Purdue generally is not a transition-oriented team under Matt Painter. That's right. especially true when he has a guy like Zach Eadie. So, <laughs> you know, the, when you look at Colvin in a vacuum, you'd say, okay, not a finished product as a shooter, and he's a freshman, so how can he best help us given what the positives are in his makeup? Well, transition play he seems put together the right way to be a finisher in transition but if you're not in transition much what does that mean are they able to find ways to utilize that in the half court can they can they run some some lob stuff um you know baseline screens to get him loose um maybe uh i think defensively you know you like the physical tools you don't know yet how quickly he picks up things from a conceptual standpoint, but you would hope that he'd give you something there. I think he's in the rotation for sure. To me, the question is, does he start or eventually, or is he, um, is he a guy that they look at as just an important reserve? And I think that's really what it comes down to. But if you're looking for reasons why this year could be different for Purdue miles colvin is a reasonable response to that question like how, how can they be better because he gives you an element they didn't they didn't have gives them an element they didn't have last year
0: and final newcomer for the boilers six foot one point guard grad transfer from southern illinois lance jones the saluki average 13.8 points a game on a profile that seems very familiar 37 28 and 76 shooting. Uh, Only a one and a half to one assist turnover ratio for a point guard. Uh, So I, you know, looking at him, you think he's probably going to be a backup and uh, I guess fills the role of Jenkins who are just a part
1: of the team. That's what I think. I mean, unless he's a lot better in some of these areas, unless he shoots a three better, unless he makes better decisions with the basketball, I kind of have a hard time seeing him as a starter, but I, I I've seen some people feel differently about that. Um, I think at a minimum, he's a guy who fills the same role that Jenkins did last year, which is not nothing that's valuable to have a veteran that you can ask to play on and off the ball and you know has experience, you know, has done it uh, before. But the shooting's a question mark. Um, You know, that's the big one. Uh, He does have a reputation as a strong defender and he's quick. So those two things likely get him on the floor to some extent, it's a question as to what the role is, I think. I didn't really understand it, to be honest, when they went and got him in the portal, because to me, it seemed obvious. Well, what you want to add is proven shooting, right? And yeah. he's not okay. that. He's not that at all.
0: You know, I guess he's he's the insurance for a point guard who might get injured, right?
1: That's true. That's true. But I would. there were other guys, it would seem. And, and look, I'm hesitant. You know, a lot of people like to. We've seen it at Michigan State for certain. A lot of people like to, to run around talking about what you could have done or should have done in the portal. And the reality <laughs> right. is you have no, you have no idea. You have yeah, no idea right. sitting on the outside of it. I would just say this, his profile was surprising to me. You know, it, Matt Painter has not been a big portal guy. He's gone into the portal, but to me uh, from outside his, his M.O. seems to be a lot more like Izzo's than it is a lot of other coaches in the league. You know, we mentioned all these guys coming back. Well, almost all those guys, or maybe all of them, are guys he actually recruited at a high school. So he's yeah, right. he has not been heavy in the portal either. And, you know, so I think if he's going to go in the portal, the profile of the guy he chose to add was a little bit surprising to me. But we'll see. Maybe he knows something I don't. I, I, sure. I would I would venture guess he does. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if he's right.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, those he's the kind of guy you definitely give the uh benefit of the doubt, I think probably. So before we go on, I just want to remind you again that we are having beat rod contests. If you think you are smarter than Rod and you can get the rankings. Well of let, the Big let's 10 let's team.
1: let's back <laughs> off that. That doesn't mean you're smarter. It means okay. you happened you happen to be more fortunate. In no. the way you chose to pick, <laughs> the final standings. Right. Let's hold, well, off because... on the, let's hold off on on making intellectual <laughs> assessments based on picking the Big Ten basketball race.
0: Okay, so if you think you can uh outpick, I guess we'll just say there we go. Rod in is in one through fourteen. And because you know Rod does not take into account the schedules, he doesn't. He's making his prediction now here, right? Way before the season starts, before any teams have played on conference games, so you're at a huge disadvantage. So I will. I'll hand that to you, which is why you were third worst in the uh, in the contest last last year. Primarily because you hadn't seen Purdue play, and that was really what uh, separated most of the most of the uh, the standings. So pick one through fourteen. Email it to me, Eric at tffinots.com. Make sure you put down as a tiebreaker the amount of points scored by Michigan State against Michigan. Remember, they played twice. That tiebreaker was actually used last year for champions. The winners get uh, nudge gear. And I think uh, if, you, if you want, if you're the top vote getter, you can come on the show. We'll talk to you and see. And we'll talk a little bit about Michigan State hoops with you. Uh, all right. So overall, looking at Purdue you know, the one thing I thought definitely last year, not that there was many opportunities to witness it, is when Edie is not on the floor, they are a very pedestrian team, and Michigan State had little trouble carving them up and scoring and doing kind of what they wanted. Of course, when Edie comes back, you know, it's a whole different story. And again, Edie, the risk, of course, if there's an injury, what does this team look like? Uh, can they recover from that? And then I guess the other the over- overall question which you alluded to earlier and even sort of mentioned is you know how does purdue respond to what happened last year do they sort of you know circle the wagons and are hyper focused and just steamroll everyone and just all the way to the finals and win it all or do they kind of buckle under that pressure of everyone wondering what's going to happen what's this team going to be like because i think that's really what's going to happen i don't think this team is fundamentally probably be a whole lot different you mentioned there's some possibilities that they're going to be a little different but they're probably going to be pretty much the same team we saw last year, and so I think it's going to be how they handle. I don't know if you want to say handle success because they they had both success and failure last year. I think that's kind of where the the psyche oh. is more probably more important than anything else going into
1: the season for Purdue. How do you handle expectations? Okay, um, look, if you take a, if you take a quick uh, view of, and we're we're getting into later September here, so you're starting to see a lot of preseason um, predictions rolling out uh across the the media and Purdue is the consensus pick to win the big ten I haven't I may have missed somebody but I haven't yet seen anyone pick Michigan State over Purdue now both teams are frequently in the top five nationally so it's not like people see a big big gap but they're picking Purdue pretty consistently mm-hmm, and that's yeah. an easy call to make and it, and and there's a rationale for it they won the league by three games last year, and the vast majority of their production and minutes are back. That team. You've also added a, a grad transfer who, you know, I don't know how effective he's going to be, but he certainly brings some elements, namely experience and an ability to play a guard spot that will help in some fashion. And then a very potentially explosive freshman, physically at least, in Colvin. So you can make a case very easily that Purdue could be better than they were last season. I don't, I would never respond to anybody believing that stating their belief in that, that they're, that they're incorrect because it's entirely possible that it happens. But I see three serious question marks. And again, we're on a scale here. So I'm not talking about, well, am I saying this team's going to go out and lose, you'll go 11 and nine in the league. no, 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 no. (laughs) We're talking about, can they win the Big Ten again? Can they reach a Final Four? Can they maybe even win a national title? That is the standard. those That's the level we are talking about. The first one of these is an easy one to identify, right? It's perimeter shooting. They were terrible last year, sub 33% as a team. Is there the potential for it to be better? Absolutely. Uh, lawyer and Smith are a year older, so it's reasonable to think that they might be better. Gillis and first have had better shooting seasons than they had last year in their careers. So might they bounce back? Absolutely. Um, how good are the new guys, Colvin and Heidi in particular, can they add something? Okay. But it was such a bad year that you actually have to do it in order to get past it. I don't think you can, you know, sometimes people fall into this trap and this goes for Michigan state fans too. Oh, sure. That assume that because a guy is coming back, he will be better. Well, it doesn't always work out that way. You, have to, you actually have to do it. You know, Once you've done it, then it gets easier to start making assumptions. But I think in this case for Purdue, with perimeter shooting, that's something they've got to actually prove. The second one I think is harder for them to adjust to, and, and that is can this team figure out a way to counter faster, quicker teams with better guard play? And I think that remains an open question. if you look at what Purdue was athletically last year, it was not very impressive, and they lost their best athlete, in my opinion, in Brandon Newman. Now they've added a couple guys, Colvin has athletic ability, Heidi, at least as a leaper, has that. Jones is supposed to be a good athlete, so those additions made sense from from that perspective. Because they addressed a weakness that I think Purdue had in their backcourt, which is they didn't have athleticism that could go head to head with really good teams blessed with good athletes at the guard spots. Now at least Purdue has; they've given Painter cards to play. How does it turn out when he actually plays them? Does that translate to the court? Um, you know, and then related to all of this, does Zach Eadie adjust better to teams swarming him? And can his teammates pick him up when they do by hitting open shots? Again, we need to see it. I'm not going to just assume it. The third one, which you alluded to a couple minutes ago, is the most difficult one to quantify. But it's important, too. And that's how Purdue deals with what will assuredly be immense pressure to finally have a tournament breakthrough. So we, know yeah. we all can see it. They're, they're a top-five team, pretty much consensus uh nationally at in the preseason they they are the favorite to win the big 10 they're not my favorite but they are the favorite generally speaking mm-hmm. that is a very different position than this team was in last november they really came in with very little in the way of expectations beyond hey we think we should be a tournament team that was about it yeah you know right. now granted they were so impressive so early that expectations got into the mix very quickly but that's still different than coming into a season knowing that this is what's expected of you. Uh, the other thing that I wonder about, and this gets to why I've picked them second and not first as well. When a team is dealing with what they're dealing with, which is March and what you do when you get there, there's the same thing you see happen sometimes in the pros, let's say in the NBA with a team that's close, but not quite good enough in the playoffs, they get eliminated in a conference final. Let's say sometimes it can seem like that regular season just goes on and on and on. And you just want to flip the calendar to the postseason. And right, I right. think there's a chance now. Matt Painter is a very good coach and he's proven to be able to handle a lot of different situations at a high level. So, I'm not saying I definitely believe this will happen, but I don't think it's crazy to think that when you're talking about evaluating how the regular season's going to go, might Purdue kind of be in a situation where they're sort of waiting around saying, all right, all right, all right we've done all this. Let's just get to the NCAA tournament because that's where they've got to prove it. The, we've seen them have success in the regular season, yeah, wild right. success. That's, you know, That's not new. It's, it's, can you be at your best when it counts the most? That's the unanswered question. And so I think that potentially has some impact for the, for the four, four and a half months prior to that, which could be enough to cut their focus on the regular season, just enough to, to mean that they don't win it. And that's kind of what I'm thinking will happen to some extent.
0: What do you think the minimum? that a Purdue fan at this point would expect in the in the NSA tournament. I mean, do you think they're going to be satisfied? I, maybe the better question is what are the, you're satisfied with. Are you satisfied with a Sweet 16 and an exit? No. Or do you no. feel like you have to do Elite 8 at least, if not Final 4? No, Final 4. I think Final I think 4 anything, is just like, I if it's it, less well, than
1: that, it's less. They're preseason top five pretty yeah. much everywhere. Right. So there's, there's the answer, right? Okay, that's the expectation. Now, your expectations can change. If they have guys banged up, they're not going into the tournament near full strength, okay, then that changes. But I'm saying right now, as you look at it, I don't think if you're a Purdue fan, you plus you've got this gigantic monkey on the back of the program and of the coach, and the only thing, the only thing that will shut that down is getting to a final four, even an Elite eight is not going to do that because if you get to that game and you lose a regional final, you know what you're going to be at eh, close, but no cigar <laughs> again. <Purdue. laughs>
0: yeah. Can't right. win and, the big ones. And are you going to have a team that this, this can be this dominant again, anytime in the foreseeable future? It's,
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't get, forever, look, right? I think that's true, but <laughs> you know, it's funny. The, the one team produce had, which under painter, which had a run, the one that got to the elite eight was built, not around a gigantic big man. Yeah. It was built around Carson Edwards. If you remember that year, um, they had, uh, Trevion Williams, if I remember correctly, Mm -hmm. was a freshman on that team wasn't playing a ton and they had Matt harms as their center who was okay. He was a decent player, but he wasn't a focal point the way most of their big men. You think about not just Edie, but Trevion Williams Haas. at a certain stage, yeah. Isaac Haas. Um, uh, oh God, why am I blanking the big kid from Indianapolis? They had a seven footer before that for Haas. Um, AJ Hammonds. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, all, all, all those guys, you know, they didn't have that. So the team that went the furthest was big shock one that had to play a little differently and was built primarily around a dynamic guard who had a lot of different ways he could score. Um, So I'm not ready to believe at all. In fact, look, I I know this would be heresy, but there was a part of me that actually thought Purdue might be more dangerous for the postseason if Edie had decided to go pro. Because then they would be talking about some combination of first and Kaufman Wren at center And whatever you would be giving up in terms of obvious points and rebounds and presence at the rim with Edie, you would gain a lot in terms of um, mobility and in terms of flexibility. So I do think – Matt Painter has proven to be good enough as a recruiter. He's continuing to recruit well. Um, And I expect Purdue's – this isn't the last time – we're going to be talking about Purdue as a team with some real potential. But that said, you never we never know what tomorrow brings us, right? So they've got a team right now that everybody agrees should be in that mix. So you want to take advantage of it when you can. And, and look, we've, we've said this about Michigan state, you know, there have been, there have been years where you felt like, boy, MSU is right there. And ironically, some of the seasons where I felt that way, the most strongly were years that they didn't get to a final four. So if you think about 2014, where they lose in the elite eight to UConn um, one year where they did get to the final four in uh, uh, 2010 where they lost to Butler in the national semifinal, both of those years at that point in time in the season, I believe Michigan state was as good as anyone in the country. They just didn't get the breaks. They could have won it. So you end up ruining those things. You know, um, we talked earlier about the 2016 team. Now, it's crazy to say that about a team that goes out in the first round. But Michigan State, at the end of the season, the end of the regular season in the conference tournaments, Michigan State was generally considered to be playing better basketball than anybody else in the country. I believed that. I thought that team was as good as anyone. They didn't do it, you know? So when you get those teams and you have those opportunities as Purdue fans probably believe this year, boy, you just, you got to hope that they make good on it at least to some extent, because it's hard. It's a hard thing. It's what, it's what makes, you know, I, I say this sometimes and. uh, Some people of of our age know what I'm talking about. I fear that people that are significantly younger have no idea. But the fact that Tom Mizzo has been to eight Final Fours is insane. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. And you need no better illustration of that point than looking at Purdue, a program with a ton of history. They care about the sport. They have good teams very regularly, and they have nothing close the march track record that somebody i mean in the history of the school they can't match what tom Izzo alone has done forget what judd did and before that um it goes to show you it is hard to go on a run in march so anytime you have the chance to do so you just got to pray that you can take advantage of it and that's the position Purdue's in but as i say That's a very difficult position to be in. You know, I I would much rather be in Michigan State's position where you had a good year that ended in a disappointment in the loss to Kansas State, but I I won't speak for everybody, but I think most people felt good about that team at the end of the year. Felt like, okay, they are are playing their best basketball right now. And so all that momentum has carried into the offseason. You brought all these guys back, and you've added all these good players to the mix. And you see that momentum. And yet at the same time, this particular group of Michigan state players hasn't done a damn thing. They haven't won a conference. They haven't won a big 10 tournament. They haven't done anything. Really? They got to a sweet 16. Great. By Michigan state standards, that's nothing. So I feel better about them being able to keep that focus in the regular season and stay hungry than for a Purdue team where all the questions aren't going to be able to be answered for five months after the season starts. Yeah, right.
0: Exactly. That's a hard, that that weighs on you. Yeah. That weighs on you for sure. Well, we'll see how Purdue does. And it's not too much longer before opening tip. We're getting really close at this point. So uh, next preview will obviously be the Michigan state Spartans, which would be a little bit, which would be the deep deep dive into the Spartans as we go into the 23, 24 season. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.